welcome to the Chasing Presence podcast, co-hosted by Santi and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Chasing Presence podcast, episode number 97. We're so close to the 100-episode mark. Um, lately, I have been experiencing some strange things, particularly in my sleep. And what I am almost certain it is is an awakening of kundalini energy. So we'll just go in very briefly into what this is for people who aren't familiar you do a quick Google search, you'll find a lot of information out there. But essentially, the way this works is there is an energy that is described as a snake-like energy. It's not actually a snake. This is just the way people try to depict it because it's an energy that coils up at the base of your spine, which is also known as the muladhara chakra. It's the root chakra. And there's this latent dormant energy that is stored there in all human beings, both men and women. And for most people, they'll go through their lives and this energy will never awaken, so to speak. It'll just stay there dormant. No one will ever know about it. But occasionally, some people go through what are called kundalini awakenings, which is where this kundalini energy, which is this dormant energy that is stored at the base of the spine, gets activated. And when it gets activated, it uncoils and shoots up the sashumna, which is basically your spine. It's a channel that goes through the center of your spine. Obviously, these terms I'm using are all... Eastern um, esoteric ideas. These are not grounded in the science. There's no such thing as a sushumna in science, but this is um, goes all the way back to ancient wisdom from Eastern mystics, Hinduism being probably the origination of this discovery. And there are many Hindu swamis and, and mystics throughout all the ages who have learned about this and experienced this, but it's not just them who experience it. It's people of all walks of life. Some people who aren't even on a spiritual path or religious will have a spontaneous awakening. And to them, they'll think like, oh, I'm just, I had a psychotic break. I'm not going to get into like how to differentiate the two. I'm not um, qualified enough to make this differentiation, but then they'll realize later on, oh, this was actually a Kundalini awakening when they look into their symptoms. So this, this energy that is dormant can awaken and activate and it starts to shoot up your spine. And the idea is that it goes through each chakra and starts to clear blockages open up the chakras and sort of cleanse your system all the way until it gets up to the crown chakra, which is the seventh chakra. And at that point, you're having a, you have a full awakening. Now, from what I've researched and the people I've talked to, this can either happen um, very abruptly and intensely, and you can have a full-blown awakening where it goes all the way up to the crown instantaneously. These are the cases where it tends to be the hardest to deal with because it's, it's an extremely, it's arguably the most powerful energy that any human can experience in their lifetime. It doesn't go beyond the Kundalini. So if you have a full awakening that where it just shoots right up to the crown chakra at once and, it, and it's a full awakening of the Kundalini, typically someone's life starts to fall apart very quickly. They won't be able to hold down a job. Um, they'll have different symptoms physically that'll make it hard to um, naturally exist in the world and socialize with people. Um, it tends to create all sorts of synchronicities. You start to attract all sorts of things into your life. And so it's a double-edged sword because it, with it comes a lot of spiritual growth, rapid healing and growth. But at the same time, it also can rapidly unravel one's life and the structures that you have in your life and the, the sort of routines and people you're around and the things you're doing can very, very quickly not become 
uh, amenable to your new state of being in the world. And so it can be very disconcerting. It can cause even hallucinations. It can cause um, paranormal sorts of perceptions to occur. And it can be very, very hard to just function because your normal senses are not behaving normally. Your mind is not filtering out the things it's supposed to filter out. You're extremely sensitive to all sorts of different stimuli. And it can, it can cause a lot of problems if you're not ready for that. The Kundalini, however, can also be a more gradual process. It can start to, if you're, I would say if you're more fortunate, obviously this is, you know, some people might prefer the full-blown one. Me personally, I'd rather have it be a gradual process that I can manage in my life a little bit better. It can also be gradual where it starts to slowly build over time. And this is, for the most part, much more preferable. I also want to just say before continuing this a lot of people don't even like discussing this topic um, around other people because they don't want there's, – there's a liability involved and they don't want people trying to go out and experience this because there are people who have certain egos and they might think, well, I could handle it. It's not that big of a deal. Let me get into this. And then they do it and then there ends up being really serious, severe ramifications like some people end up committing suicide. Some people end up being admitted to a psych ward and they never fully recover. It takes them many, many years and the rest of their life, they're just in a lot of pain and agony from this experience. So I'm not encouraging anyone to go out and try to experience this. Um, I'm just sharing my, my knowledge and, and what I'm experiencing because very recently, <clears throat> ever since my ayahuasca retreat back in October, so about three months ago, there have been moments mostly at night when I'm sleeping where I will experience this activation it feels like an electrical current is running through my body and there is like a usually a sound associated with it like a a crackling sound i don't know how to really describe it very well um, and each time it's been a little bit different I'll, I'll describe like the most recent time it was actually uh, activated during a dream where i became lucid very brief dream i was looking in the mirror at myself and i looked into my own eye um, my right eye but my eyeball didn't look like a regular eye. Like my face was normal, but the eye itself had sort of like a, I have no idea how to describe it. It was like a mystical, almost like an, like the eye you would see for like an, an Egyptian God or something. It had like a very weird sort of design to it. And it, but it was very like potent is the best way I can describe it. And when I looked at myself and like, like the eye of Horus, something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, Oh, this is like an eye from another dimension. <laughs> But it was me and I was looking at myself and then the eye, when I looked at it, the eye kind of shifted a little. And as I looked at myself in the eye, in the mirror, I had this giant rush of energy shoot up and it felt like a, the, the third eye, also known as the Ajna chakra, just blew wide open. Now I've experienced like tingling in the third eye. I've experienced like pulsing. This was like a portal opened from my forehead and just all this energy just started pouring out of it or through it. I don't even know how to describe it. And it was the intensity of it was even more intense than, than what I've experienced on psychedelic journeys. And I've done psychedelics for like eight years now. This was the energy of it was even more powerful than that. And I could tell that if it continued to escalate, it could be um, very, very concerning. So I, in that moment, I, I, I was awake at that point. It was lucid. I woke up, the energy was surging and I started praying to started praying to Jesus. <laughs> I'm not Christian. I've said this many times, but I started praying to Jesus because what I found is when I've had these activations so far, when I hold Christ in my mind, it helps to calm down the energy. And so as that happened, I saw a cross come into my vision 
and then the energy calmed down. And I just, I don't, I don't ask Jesus to stop the energy from circulating. I just, I just say, if I, if I am not ready, I, something along the lines of, if I am not ready for the full capacity of this energy, or if this isn't for my highest good, just please like protect me from it. And it kind of calms it down. So um, I'm going to pause there. This is, this is what I've been experiencing. Mike, what are your, what are your thoughts? Before I go into my own experience with Kundalini, I want to, I want to talk about maybe some of the more scientific reasons why this happens in the first place. And to my knowledge, well, let, let me just start it off with a story. Uh, when one of my, one of my friends, my friend's uh, dad used to work on oil rigs, there would be nearby Native Americans that would sometimes come by and offer meat, or sometimes they would try to trade with certain Native Americans that had meat in the area. And generally, the most unwanted part of the animal is the meat that is right around or near the spine. And it was mainly because the Native Americans believed that most of the toxins or, you know, the stress of the animal is stored around the spine. Or traditionally, that's usually where you find some of the more, the less potent, potently nutritious meat. And when I heard that, I heard that right around the time when I was doing some more advanced meditations and when I was kind of like exploring and and this idea of kundalini energy and it really made sense all at once because for the most part, you know, they say, you know, a lot of energy is stored at the base of the spine. Obviously the spine is, is what allows us to exist, you know, without a nervous system, we, we aren't really anything. So the spine is very important to make sure that it is healthy and you, you need like your spine is essentially like, uh, a very complex circuit, right? And if the conductivity is not up to par, then energy is not going to be able to flow throughout your body properly. And if you have a good conductivity in, in your spine, then you will likely have more kundalini energy flowing through. Kundalini energy is just is another term for like chi, life force, any, anything that just allows your body to function more optimally, essentially. And when I, when I heard this about Native Americans intuitively understanding this, it started making sense because the second you start doing more advanced meditations or just meditation in general and you start reducing the amount of stress that is present in your system, particularly around the spine, you can do this with certain you know yoga exercises. I, there, there's certain... There's certain stretches, you know, like uh, I'll, I'll just list off a few. The the cobra stretch, the up dog stretch from yoga. There, there's a few. I, I forget what it is, but it's when you lay on your back and you put your legs over your head. That's a really good lower back stress that for me releases a lot of that energy. I can like really feel the energy in the lower back of my spine whenever that happens. And I don't know if anyone I, – I, you've probably experienced this, Santi, but for anyone listening – if you've ever done yoga and then at the end you do the shavasana, which is where you lay down on your back, I always notice that when I lay down, there's a lot of energy just being built up in my lower to mid back. Sante, have you experienced this whenever you do shavasana? If you've done it no. recently? No, I don't experience that when, I, when I'm in that position. 
Okay. So basically, if I do a bunch of lower back stretches or just back stretches in general that get that energy flowing around my spine and I lay down, I can really feel energy gathering in that area. And so, so basically, um, when I started doing more advanced meditations, I noticed that my spine was like radiating energy a lot more than I was ever used to. And at times this would manifest as euphoria and at other times it would manifest as heightened anxiety due to stress release. Meaning that, you know, because there's toxins being released into my bloodstream, that is literally manifesting as anxiety, right? Because any type of toxin in your bloodstream is going to not feel good. Your body's going to tell you, hey, there's something going on here. And sometimes that'll manifest as anxiety. But then once that gets cleared away, it can be manifest as euphoria because, you know, you're lighter, essentially. So I experienced a lot of that doing advanced meditations that couple um, that couple certain asanas, which is like yoga poses and and breath work and and long meditations and certain advanced techniques. And I know Santi is doing something similar to that with with cryo yoga. Maybe we can go more in detail as to exactly what you're doing. But that for the most part, what I'm doing is I'm stretching out my spine, doing advanced meditations, treating my body very well so that I'm not accumulating mo- more unnecessary stress. And as that's happening, I'm releasing more of that energy around my spine, which allows more kundalini energy to essentially flow. Where you can run into problems is if you're doing this too much at once. If you're doing too many advanced meditations for too long, if you're doing too many exercises that are releasing too much stress at once from your spine, this is when you could potentially go into a full-blown awakening that is too powerful for where you currently are are qualified for spiritually. So this is why it's very important if you are seeking this sort of awakening that you need to go be with someone who is very spiritually mature and has handled this type of thing before. So for Santi, what I would recommend for you is you need to go find a mentor because I know you've been dabbling in in advanced meditations and long meditations lately, which is likely why you're getting these kundalini activations like this. And I mean, but at the same time, I feel like maybe you are able to handle it because if when these activations happen, you are aware enough to be able to essentially ask if to allow yourself to send yourself into that awakening. I feel like you might be able to handle it yourself, but to be on the safe side, why not just go to a, a guru or not, not in the traditional sense, but just someone that can help you through the experience, like a shaman or anyone who has experience with this sort of thing. And for me, I'm doing it very, very gradually. I'm, I'm not trying to go into a full-blown awakening just ma- mainly because I, I don't really have the time to do that right now. Maybe some... Basically, in the meditation that I do, we aren't allowed to do advanced meditations. We are only allowed to do them twice a day in Vedic meditation because anymore, you aren't qualified to be able to to release that much stress yourself and you need to be – you're only allowed to do that in retreats or with, with your mentors or gurus present for that very reason to prevent full kundalini awakenings. So that's a basically all I know about Kundalini awakenings. And I'm just curious as to why these Kundalini awakenings have been happening for you 
recently, Santi, and maybe you can talk about what you've been doing lately that have been triggering those. Yeah, I think um, there's multiple factors involved. So I haven't been doing technically doing Kriya, Kriya Yoga, which is basically a specific form of meditation, and there are different um, schools within Kriya that teach different types of Kriya. I have historically started doing like the spinal breathing, which is the very basic form of Kriya, where you just imagine energy going up your spine during the inhale and then releasing it from your head, or you can imagine it going back down on the exhale. But I haven't like actually taken a course. I haven't even read the book that I bought yet because I want to pause and wait until I complete my Vipassana retreat, which I'm going on next week. And that's a 10-day retreat that is focused on the Anapana and Vipassana forms of meditation, which is very different than Kriya. So I don't want to mix up the two different types of meditation before going on this retreat, um, which kind of brings me to another concern, which is that even if I'm not doing that sort of meditation on this retreat because you're meditating for 10 to 11 hours a day for 10 days straight, I may end up just having a spontaneous Kundalini awakening since I've already been having the activations. In fact, I there's probably a significant risk, but I'm going to do the retreat anyway because I like if not now, when? Um, if I have the Kundalini awakening first and then do the retreat, it's probably just not going to work out. Like Once you have a full-blown awakening, it's really not a good idea to be meditating for that many hours in a day. So I think like I just got to go and do it and and trust in the process and surrender and see what happens. Um, but I think it's been happening for a few reasons. One of them is I think there's there's just there's a karmic aspect. There's a divine timing aspect in terms of like this energy will just start to naturally awaken when you're ready for it on your journey. Obviously, like I said, some people are not ready for it and they have it. I don't know why that happened. That might happen. Um, again, might be karmic beyond you know our own human reasoning and comprehension. But I think for me, there's multiple factors that are probably driving it. One is that I have been um, celibate for over a year now. And when you're a man who is celibate and you're retaining your semen, that builds up a lot of energy in your body. And then in addition to that, I've also been doing a Qigong practice called the microcosmic orbit, which is arguably the most efficient way to circulate sexual energy throughout your body. So I've been retaining for over a year. I've started doing the microcosmic orbit regularly a couple months ago. So I'm building the energy. Now I'm circulating it. This is getting energy moving through the body. And then in addition to that, I've been doing, continuing to do work to release my trauma. And I just, I also want to get into this in, in this episode as well, a little bit later, but I started doing a practice called TRE, which is, stands for trauma release exercises. And it's by Dr. Burselli. So we'll put a pin in that one. We'll go back to that later. But basically what that does is it removes the trauma. So if you have energy and you're circulating it, but you have trauma, it's going to create blockages. And so the energy won't be able to freely circulate through your body if it's being blocked by trauma. And so when you build the energy, you circulate it and you remove the blockages, that's really a recipe to have a Kundalini awakening. At least in my limited knowledge, that seems to make the most sense to me. And since I've been doing these three things of building, circulating, energy and removing the blockages for that energy, I think it is opening up the pathway for this awakening to occur. <clears throat> so there are risks, like I mentioned. Um, I think in terms of getting a teacher or, or a, um, a guru of sorts who is experiencing this, the, the, the challenge is finding someone who's legitimate and not just one of these. There's a lot of like Kundalini yoga teachers in Austin who are, who are scam artists. They're not legit. They don't actually have a lot of experience they're not going to, be, going to be able to guide me. So I'd have to do a lot of research 
on the back end to find someone who I trust and who I think is actually experienced, um, not just that they've had it themselves, but that they have a track record of helping people through this. And so finding someone with that experience can be a challenge, but I'm definitely open to doing that. And yeah, I mean, these, these things that I'm doing, like there are people who will even say like retaining and being celibate for a long time as a man is risky for these sorts of reasons. Um, doing microcosmic orbit without a teacher. Some people recommend against it. So I am sort of um, engaging in some risky behavior in what I'm doing. I'm doing all of these things without anyone guiding me. But that's sort of how my journey has always been. Like when I started doing psychedelics, I didn't have anyone in my life to help me guide me through my trips and tell me about dosages. I had to learn on my own and I made some poor decisions. A lot of the stuff I've done on this journey, I've just, you know, I'll do research online and stuff, but for the most part, I'm experimenting and I'm just seeing where my limits are. Um, there are risks to that, but honestly, like this, this path that I'm walking is the most important thing in my life. There is nothing more important than walking this path. If I die on my own sword, then it'll be fully worth it if I'm doing it in pursuit of God and the divine. Like this is, I can't go back to living in the matrix and just living a normal life. Like, okay, this is getting risky. Let me just watch football and play video games and go back to like the matrix. I could never do that. It's like, I've got to go all the way. It's all or nothing. Now, hopefully as I'm going down this path, I, I am not being completely reckless. And so that is why I'm trying to do more research. This is why I'm trying to talk about it, process it, learn about it, and hopefully not have um, some sort of psychotic break that puts me in the hospital. I, although I will say, and I'm not saying that this is a good thing, but this is, I will just say this. I have read some anecdotal stories of people who have had this awakening. They go into a, a hospital, they get admitted for a day or a few days. I think the longest is like a couple of weeks at, at the longest, but usually it's for like a couple of days until you regulate. And then they, they report that when they go back um, outside of the, outside of the, um, the hospital after being hospitalized, there are some people, not all, but there are some people who say they actually go into a state of peace and, and it actually the shift from that point forward is actually positive. Of course, there are also the people that's not the case and it continues to be a problem. So it's, you're kind of rolling the die to some extent. Um, it's an interesting time. Well, I mean, we'll see, we'll see what happens. I, I have no idea where this is going to lead. Um, maybe I highly doubt it's just going to all of a sudden stop unless I were to completely stop my spiritual practices, which I am not willing to do. Perhaps I can, like you mentioned, not overdo it and limit the amount of time that I spend doing some of these things and not um, going all in. So I think that's probably the best route right now, just um, monitoring and um, limiting the intensity and the duration through which I'm doing these practices is probably a smart move rather than stopping it altogether. And I will also say that um, for, for example, like I, for the TRE, um, the trauma release exercises, there was one day recently where I did it for like an hour. And I, my idea was like, well, if I do it for an hour, I'm going to release more trauma and it's going to be more beneficial. But again, it's a double-edged sword because after that session for the next two days, I was extremely exhausted and I was drinking copious amounts of water and I had extreme fatigue because when you process and release a lot of trauma, it's very common for people to ex experience lethargy and fatigue for several days following. And it was just I was thinking to myself, it probably would have been better to just split this up into 20 to two to three, 20 to 30 minute sessions rather than doing an hour all at once and then have it be more sustainable. So it is good to kind of see where your limits are. That way, you know, but once you see what that limit is, then probably taper it back to some extent and then 
um, do a smaller amount or a smaller intensity or smaller duration, shorter duration, um, in order to make it more sustainable and less extreme. It doesn't always have to be extreme. Sometimes it can be nice to go extreme because it's you only live once and you kind of want to experience sort of the full spectrum of, of what it is you can experience on this spiritual path. But I think medium to long run, you want to be more cautious and careful about what you're doing in order to not completely um, throw your life away. Going back to what we were talking about earlier about how these Kundalini awakenings happen in the first place is it sounds like because you're coupling this trauma, these trauma release exercises with these, this microcosm, microcosmic orbit Qigong, what you're essentially doing is you are releasing stress out of your body, which allows energy to conduct itself to flow more freely in your body with less resistance. Uh, so he, he, the reason why I'm using these terms is it's kind of funny. I, I, so when I went to college, I became an electrical engineer and I was doing related, uh, I was doing a related job about four to five years after college. And that's when I decided to take a break and, and go to music production school. I'm actually getting back into it right now because I, I want to start a family and also, you know, continue doing my side project. But it's kind of funny how how these things change. When I realized how much stress I had stored in my body and I realized how much the matrix was negatively affecting me, or maybe not the matrix, but how I was allowing the matrix to affect me due to my own preconceived notions and belief systems that I weren't even aware that were there, I immediately realized I needed to take a break from the matrix in order to, or at least in, in take a break from the life that I was living. And because ultimately I was working a job that was, that I did enjoy. The only problem was I had a lot of negative beliefs about myself. I had a lot of negative habits that I was, that I was performing. And as a result, that made it a lot more difficult to live in the matrix doing that type of job. I think it's very difficult to not live into in the matrix right now, unless you want to live completely off grid, you will always be somewhat dependent on the matrix due to how our society is structured. You will, most people are going to be connected to the power grid unless you decide to, to become a monk and go live in the Himalayan mountains where you're not reliant on power at all. Right. And if that's not what you're trying to do, then you're going to be dependent on the matrix. So being okay with that is something that we have to accept. But so essentially what happened was I realized I had so much stress in my body when I had my spiritual awakening that I had to get out of my current life. And so essentially what I did is I went to go do something that aligned with me working in the working uh, or doing music production. And when I realized I didn't want to work in the music industry due to many different factors that did not align with me, I realized that, okay, I want a family and I want to be able to raise very conscious children. So I'm still going to have to w work in the matrix because in order to support a family, you know, a, a relatively large one is my goal. I have to make a job or essentially make enough money that will support me. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to be connected to the matrix and I have to be okay with that. My theory is, and I'm, I'm this isn't really a theory. I know this is a fact that if you essentially don't have that much stress in your body and, and energy is flowing in a very efficient way, then you will be able to live in the matrix or just find something that you are able to do or at least tolerate 
And because that you, you know, have, you have a very well functioning body and you, you just feel good at rest that it's a lot easier to be grateful for what you have when you don't have a lot of that resistance weighing you down, not allowing energy to flow throughout your body. And so, you know, I'm, a, I'm an electrical engineer. And to me, this makes a lot of sense because when electricity flows, it wants to take the path of least resistance always. This is, this is what electricity does. And ideally, you're, you don't want a lot of resistance in your body in the places where you do want electricity to flow. Santi says kundalini energy feels like electricity flowing throughout your body. The, the human body is a bioelectric circuit, essentially. So electricity is flowing throughout your body, not, not through like, not through wires, like, you know, uh, that all the wires throughout the ground that makes the internet possible electricity going through that, but it's in a quantum biological way. There's, there's electricity flowing through your system and the stress that is gathered around your spine is resistance that is not allowing energy to flow freely. So essentially what Santi is doing right now is he's increasing the current of the electricity in his body by doing these microcosmic, uh, the Qigong microcosmic orbit exercises. And with the trauma release, he's decreasing the resistance in his body. So essentially this energy is just like gradually flowing more and more and more. And because you're doing it more and more and more, it's kind of like almost compounding. And obviously, if in my in my honest opinion, I know that you you can handle it because yeah, you're doing the trauma release exercises for like an hour and you are retaining. But again, you're not doing like eight hour a day meditations. If you started doing that, well, here's the thing, and this is where it gets interesting because you're about to go to a meditation retreat, right? So you're going to be meditating a lot every day. I would say that maybe you shouldn't do your trauma release exercises when you're there, that you should just meditate and not try to circulate too much energy in your body and just kind of like allow the stress release of the meditation to kind of like do it on its own. But also I think that you should let the personnel know at the meditation retreat that you've been feeling this lately and that everything is fine. You're able to handle it, but just in case you should probably have people aware of what's going on so that if you need help, you can get it. Yeah. So I am not going to, I am not going to be doing the trauma release or the orbit, the microcosmic orbit while I am actually at the retreat. I'm just going to do the meditation to be safe. But I'm not going to mention anything because it, it could honestly just disqualify me. The, this place is very, very strict and rigid with um, their processes and things like that. And if I start telling them that I felt my third eye burst open like a portal in the middle of the night, uh, they will probably um, reject me from actually attending. So I'm not, not going to bring that up, um, but I will stop doing the other practices that circulate energy i'm not going to stop retaining going into it um just because well first of all on the retreat you're not allowed to do any sexual behavior and i'm not ready to to break that streak that i'm currently on um due to that but i want to stop doing the stuff that actually circulates the energy actively which is the qigong the microcosmic orbit the retreat is definitely it's a risk for anyone, honestly, who, who goes in. There is a risk factor for whoever joins due to the intensity of the experience. You are, for those of you who are not aware and haven't listened to me talk about it on a previous episode, these retreats are a very infamous program through the Dhamma Org organization, which was founded by S.N. Goenka, 
not sure exactly when he founded it. I think it was probably sometime in the early early to mid 1900s. Don't quote me on that. Basically, the the standard is it's a 10 day retreat. It's free. You're not allowed to uh, give any money until you complete the course, and it's optional if you want to or not. You have two meals a day, breakfast and lunch. You get about six and a half hours of sleep each night. You're not allowed to talk. You're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to write. You're not allowed to exercise. You're not allowed to make eye contact with other participants. And there are you know certain requirements in terms of like a dress code. It's, it's not super strict, but you're basically just not supposed to show too much skin because they don't want people being distracted by other people's bodies. And you are meditating for about the, the if you look at the schedule, it's 10 hours and 45 minutes a day. Um, some people, some of those sessions are requ- quote unquote required, meaning you have to be in the meditation hall to do them. Other ones you are like kind of optional, but highly recommended. You can do them in your own room. Um, they don't want you doing other, any other practices. They don't even want you bringing any spiritual objects with you. It's very, very rigid, very, very strict. Um, the times where you're not meditating, you're either eating a meal, taking a nap, going on a walk or, um, there's, there's a lecture time, I think each night where you have the chance to ask questions to the instructor. So that there is a time technically where you can't talk. It's if you want to ask questions to the instructor during the end of day lecture period, I'm probably not going to ask any questions because I really want to just be completely silent the entire time. And then I believe on day 10 is actually, so it's really 12 days. The day you arrive and the day you leave don't count as days. So it's, but it's actually 12 days, 10 days of the actual observing all the rules. And then on day 10, of the actual retreat itself where you're observing the rules that day, I believe you actually are allowed to talk. And that is more of a, you're still meditating the whole day pretty much, but there's more of a social aspect to it. And I think it's focused on meta meditation, which is loving kindness meditation. So it's a little bit different than the, the other nine days. I think the first three is Anapana, which is focusing on the breath. And then the bulk of it is Vipassana, which is doing body scans, scanning your body up, up and down for different sensations. And then the last day, I believe, is the meta, and then you can actually talk to people. So it's a very intense program. Um, most people aren't going to take 10 days off of work to do this. Most people would rather go to Hawaii or something like that. It's nothing wrong with that at all. But um, only people who are very, like, either extremely committed to the path or extremely curious enroll in this. Because there are, surprisingly, from what I've heard, a significant number of people who go on this retreat are actually new to meditation, which which to me is just insane. I can't imagine going on a retreat this intense without any prior meditation experience, but there are some people who do that. Um, and I just lost my train of thought, but um, yeah, not everyone has the experience. Oh yeah. And there's a certain percentage of people who quit. I don't know what the exact percentage is, but I think it's somewhere like between 10 to 20% of people who Enroll, don't end up finishing it because it's just that intense. And then there's an even smaller percentage of people who end up having adver- an adverse reaction. And, you know, there are, there are issues when they leave. Um, there's a ton of uh, sort of like conflict you'll find if you look online of people saying how they don't like the course. They don't think it's um, ethical because it's it's too extreme and not everyone, you know, they do, a, they do have a screening process, but they just, they still, a lot of people who, who have participated and I want to say this is the majority by any means, but there is a subset of people who who believe that they don't do a good enough job of giving people the support before, during, and after the experience that they need um, after having such an intense experience. But it's something I want to do at least once in my lifetime, um, given that I have devoted a lot of my, my time and effort to meditation. I actually, in December, 
uh, completed five years without a day missed. So I did, I have over a five year streak of meditation without missing a day. I, I did a whole, actually, I want to keep my anonymity here, but anyway, um, there are, there are, there are downsides to it, but, um, the ego being one, I have like an attachment to the streak and a sense of pride, but it's, it's a small sort of, I guess it's a good problem to have. I'll just say that. And it isn't something that really inflates it to any substantial degree. And I am aware of it, but, um, so yeah, the risk here, as, as you can tell with such an intense experience is that this Kundalini energy, which is already being activated might act. Well, there's a high chance of it activating even more. I mean, even people who aren't having Kundalini awakenings, experience extremely vivid dreams this is pretty universal like very very common for everyone like they'll notice that their dreams during this time during the meditation become extremely vivid um so the fact that i'm already having this energy being awakened this is creating an environment for it to to open up more so who knows we'll see when, when i return um from this retreat we'll do an episode about it hopefully i'll be stable enough to record a podcast episode and I will let you all know uh, how it goes. So I think the main reason that people have adverse reactions during meditation retreats is because they're releasing so much stress due to meditation all at once that their body literally can't handle it. They're not used to that type of energy and it manifests as a very uncomfortable feeling that lasts many hours that most people simply aren't equipped to handle. And I think there's a lot of spiritual egos that go into meditation retreats thinking that they can they can do it because they med- they've been on headspace for a year or two years and they've been doing 10 to 15 minute meditations every day and then they go into it and they realize, okay, I, I'm, I've bitten off a little bit more that I can chew. This is way more intense than I thought, not, not because that they, they aren't you know spiritually advanced per se, but simply because the energy that is getting released into the system is too much in value that they are just not equipped to handle it. What needs to happen is people need to at least do an hour to two hour meditations to see how they even feel. But like even one to two hour meditations aren't enough. When you do six to seven hour meditations, you're releasing so much stress because, you know, like we've said on multiple podcasts before, when you get into a deep state of rest in meditation, it is five to ten times more profound than your deep than your deep rest in sleep. Meditation is bringing your body to homeostasis and healing you at a rate that no other type of non-invasive activity can release. So people just I don't think understand like the the gravity of the situation when they're releasing that much stress. And I, I simply just think that this is why these sort of things happen. Um, and by the way, I would I know for a fact that people would be able to handle a Kundalini awakening. I guarantee you it's happened many times at retreats. Like I, I can almost guarantee that. So yeah, you probably shouldn't tell them that you're about to have a full-blown Kundalini awakening because they might, you know, be a little bit scared about that. But I know that they are able to handle that sort of thing it's a meditation retreat that has been that has been going on for a while it's just like that's something that they are equipped to handle simple as that from what i've seen from what i've heard they they don't though they just send you home or they or they call it like 911 or something they don't they don't like dealing with that when it happens that's a that's a pretty npc meditation <laughs> retreat i mean it's the it's the most well-known retreat on the planet 
that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I do want to make an argument too that um, there's actually that TRE actually releases even more stress than meditation. Um, at least in my experience, this is this is so far my belief, and obviously there's room for non-invasive. Perhaps TRE is an invade. I would say an invasive form of activity that releases stress. Meditation is how non-invasive. You, how, how would you def- how would you define invasive? Movement, because with meditation and sleep, you are not moving. You're you're letting your body get into a state of rest. Whereas yoga and TRE and and qigong, those are invasive where you're actually moving your body. Yeah. You're moving the tissues. You're moving your fascia. Yeah. And that is causing energy to move. That is invasive. Yoga is invasive, everyone. Be careful. (laughs) I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Maybe Um, maybe there's a better word for it, but I think everyone understands what I'm saying. More active. More of an active approach. Sure. Active passive. Um, Yeah. I want, I want to go into TRE, Trauma Release Exercises by Dr. Vasily. I just discovered this spontaneously while on Reddit. By the way, Reddit, obviously, you don't want to overuse it. Sometimes I scroll a little too much on there. It's, it's arguably my only vice that I have. But I have discovered so many important things that I've implemented into my path through Reddit. Like I, There's so many things that I've done that have been extremely impactful in my life that I wouldn't have otherwise known about or known about as soon if I didn't. Uh, have Reddit at my disposal. So I discovered it somehow through Reddit. I don't know exactly how I saw it, but I did. And it's a very simple exercise. Again, just like with anything we talk about, there are of course risks with this, but essentially what you're doing is you're doing a, a, a movement, a very simple movement with your body. Now, some people will say you have to fatigue the legs first. I would say that if, if you don't have any experience with somatic releases through any other means, like for me, I've had a lot through psychedelics, then perhaps, yes, you'll need to fatigue your legs first, but I can do it without even fatiguing my muscles. So there's a process that they give you to fatigue the muscles. I don't even do that because it's not necessary for me. And then you go into the exercise. It's a very simple movement with your body that somehow they discovered this. And I was very skeptical before I did it because I thought this is probably just some other bullshit technique that's not really going to do much for me, just like a lot of the other things I've experimented with. And then, and it, it worked extremely effectively. And when you do this, it basically initiates a tremor in your body and allows the subconscious mind, which is your body to start acting on its own accord. And my body will start shaking. It'll start moving in all sorts of different ways. And it's not me consciously doing it. Now, if I want to, I can consciously stop it. But if I let go, a big part of this practice with TRE is letting go and surrendering and, and not controlling anything. And that's, if you don't, if you try to control, you're not going to get anything out of it. You have to let go and surrender once the the shaking starts and your body will just do its own thing. It'll just keep going. It'll start shaking. It'll start shaking in areas where you've held trauma and tension for a lot of people like myself, that's in the hips. Um, And I've also had it, man, like the other night there was a, there was an experience where the energy moved up from my hip to, I could feel it going up the movements in my body to my shoulder out to my right hand. And my right hand started doing all sorts of crazy movements on its own. It was moving around, shaking, making all sorts of different movements on its own. I wasn't doing anything. It was like, if you were to watch me, you would, like some people, if you look up online, like TRE videos, some people look like they're having an exorcism, like their body starts moving in all sorts of crazy ways. Obviously, if you're not someone who's on a spiritual path and seeking, this is going to look very, this is going to be very, very uncomfortable to witness, let alone try. This is why it's not as well known and not as 
popular, even though in my opinion, it's, it's like the holy grail of trauma release. It is by far the most effective thing I've ever found, the most efficient thing I've ever found, and the most reliable thing I've found to release and heal trauma because shaking and moving, especially when it's your subconscious body taking over to do it, is has been shown. And there's there's people like Peter Levine, Alexander Lowen, obviously, like I mentioned, Dr. Berselli, who have found that this tremor mechanism in the body is, is the main primary pathway that the body has to heal trauma. There's other ways, other practices that we can do to integrate it or to reduce its intensity or severity on our on our body and on our minds, but to actually release it and get rid of it from your system, shaking and moving and tremoring on a subconscious level is, is the primary way to release trauma and has been found to be the most effective. This is why if you look at animals like gazelle in the wild, if they get away from like a predator that's trying to kill it, the first thing they do is start shaking. If you even look at people who I was watching a video where they, they tranquilized a polar bear. And when the polar bear woke up, it started tremoring and shaking. This is animalistic. This is like beyond even just the human experience where we shake and living organisms, they shake and they tremor in order to heal and shake off the trauma from the experience that they had. And this TRE allows people a very effective and reliable way for doing that. The only thing you want to be careful of is overdoing it because if you overdo it and do it for too long and too intensely, it can cause extreme fatigue and can put you into a state of depression. It can cause you to have other symptoms like headaches and other physical ailments. And then it can actually delay the healing process because releasing so much trauma in a short period of time can be very taxing on the nervous system. And so you want to make sure, if, especially if you're not very um, familiar with trauma release, you're not, you have, if you have a, acute trauma, severe trauma, PTSD, you want to make sure you're doing this with a trained practitioner. You want to find someone in your city or online who can guide you through it in a way that will um, decrease the likelihood of an adverse reaction to it. If you if you don't have severe trauma, um, or and or you are experienced with other things that have helped you to heal or reprocess trauma, then it's probably less risky and you can do it on your own. But I would still advise you to be careful because just like I mentioned earlier. Um, if you do it, actually it might've been before we started the recording, but I did it for an hour, um, recently. And that hour ended up being too much because the next couple of days I was extremely exhausted and wiped out just from that one hour of TRE. So be careful, um, get a trained practitioner to help you if, if you feel like you might be at risk, but yes, this, this process of removing the blockages and then using the microcosmic orbit to circulate the energy with the energy that has been built up from from retention this three piece process is like gold for healing and growth and increasing your charisma and your magnetism and becoming more spiritually present and adept and in tune i've only been doing this tre practice for less than a for like no i think i started new year's day so like 10 days i haven't done even done it every day and i only started the microcosmic orbit a couple months ago the results in such a short period of time have been astounding so to recap, it is wise to invest your time into exercises that move your body and release the stress that have been pent up over a lifetime. When you do this, you allow energy to flow better in your body. And generally, if energy is flowing more efficiently in your body, there's less resistance from stress. You are able to align yourself with what you were meant to do a lot easier. You feel better. 
you're you you're able to judge yourself less. This is more where self love comes from, in in my opinion, than anything else, because you 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 can think your way into into depression, but you can't think your way out of depression. Oftentimes, you have to really feel your body in order to get through any sort of stressful situation. Obviously, now there's there's shaking, right? But like you can't you can't just shake all your problems away. Oftentimes, you're going to have to feel the the effects that are happening in your body due to some due to some stressful experience as well and be okay with that but generally that's only going to happen if you are comfortable in your body and if you're not comfortable in your body it's likely because you have a lot of resistance that is not allowing energy to flow properly in your body so by doing the microcosmic orbit trauma release exercises meditation things like semen retention where you're, you're where you're building up energy in your body you're allowing it to flow and you're also releasing the resistance that prevents it from flowing you are going to feel much lighter in life and as a result you're going to have more energy to take action on the on the passions and the goals that you want to achieve in this life you're going to be more in tune with exactly what you were meant to do in this life because you don't have a lot of resistance and stress weighing you down, causing negative thoughts that are preventing you from achieving exactly what you want that aligns spiritually with you. And overall, you're just going to be a much more ideal human being spiritually, physically, and mentally. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Chasing Presence podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening. Stay present and have a great day.